Have you ever had an overwhelmed heart? You might think about that. You may not have described it that way, but I bet everybody's had an overwhelmed heart. The scripture portion today is in uh, Psalm 25. You take that time to to look at it and just follow along. I uh, vividly remember a day when I was driving my car and uh, with my son, uh, Timothy, my second oldest son, and I was going to be late for a meeting. But uh, amazingly, I made it on time because even though on a very normal day of traffic, um, at every intersection between my house and the destination, the traffic lights were all in my favor. All of them were either already on green or changed to green as I approached the busy intersections. It was like the parting of the Red Sea in the day of Moses and the children of Israel. And Tim and I got, got to the uh, meeting exactly on time. That had never happened to me before. It's never happened to me again in that city or any other city. I feel sure it won't happen to me at any other time in my life or any other place. But it did happen. But I remember thinking after that, how awesome was that? How awesome for that, for just everything to open up and be good. And wouldn't it be great if that happened all the time? Having no obstacles, just smooth sailing all the way every day? Who wouldn't want that all the time? I would, I think. But of course, that's, that's not an everyday reality. Life is full of challenges, and some of them are huge. And sometimes those challenges show up in multiples. I can give you a little idea of, of one that happened with me and my family quite a while ago when my uh, four children were still living at home. We had uh, vacations together, that, that era of our time. And uh, also part of it I was I had a sabbatical from the church that I was serving in. And so that was great to be able to have a little time off and get refreshed and get back into ministry. And um, we had air miles to use, you know, saving up those points to get the uh, air miles. We uh, had that uh, to use for travel, and, and uh, we had access also from relatives uh, who had a condo in Hawaii. And so we could take advantage of that, and most always we had the greatest times there. But one time, our flight to Hawaii was very delayed, and we didn't get to the islands until uh, midnight or after because we had been so delayed uh, on the mainland. And uh, it was not a big deal, but we did have to uh, go after midnight, driving to the other side of Oahu uh, after, uh, after that time. And there was no one uh, on the road, really. Uh, hardly, I don't think we saw only one other person. And uh, it was just totally quiet. But there was one other person on the road, and unfortunately, he was a police officer, and he, <laughs> he stopped me for a speeding violation, and he got a ticket. It was actually very... Uh, what should I say? It cost a lot of money. <laughs> cost a lot of money, but, but you know what? I actually wrote to the, uh, I'm getting into too much detail, but I'll tell you, I actually wrote the judge, and he cut it down in half, so at least that was good. But, but you see, one, that was that one time, you know, we were just down there, and it just seemed like nothing was going right. We, um, we were, when we got to our destination, it was, it was just like we're just getting things, you know, get stopped again. We couldn't get our car through the gate. So we're in the middle of the night. We just got a ticket. We're all tired. 
and we couldn't get through the gate because we couldn't get the right code. So there we were in the middle of the night. And then finally we get it all done, and we get in. The next day we find out the car that we had rented had mechanical problems. The bottom of the car was literally falling apart underneath as we were driving. So we had to go back and get another car. And at the home in which we were staying, we also found that there were ants all in the pantry there. So then also, uh, a little later on going on, my daughter broke a light fixture with a baton. She's a twirler. So we got that happen. My, my daughter also got an ear infection while we were there. And then, uh, you know, I got a phone call, too, by uh, my oldest son and his wife. They were just newly married, and they were excited because they had a place to live, and they had a job and a bank, and it was going to be great. And then they tell us that, uh, oh, actually, that bank was closing. And so my son and daughter-in-law were, were just, you know, broke, heartbroken for it all. And, and uh, this just kind of went going. My wife and my son, Timothy, we both got... Uh, Timothy, uh, I should say, my son Timothy both got, my wife both got uh, the stomach flu. And, uh, and then just to top it all off, while I'm out on my sabbatical, the associate pastor of my church, who, uh, who I was overseeing, um, uh, especially he was overseeing to start a new season of ministry in a college town. And so, you know, we were all geared up for him to go in really strong on that. And he gave us a little phone call to say, oh, by the way, I'm resigning, I'm going to another church, I want to move. And so we had to uh, step back and say, how are we going to get this church on the road again? Do you remember the saying, I I try to take one day at a time, but sometimes several days attack uh, attack me at once? That's kind of how that uh, that trip uh, was. I'm sure we've all had that experience sometimes, some way. When that occurs, we're often prone to come down with an overwhelmed heart. And of course, by heart, I don't mean our physical heart, the the organ that's pumping in our chest, but rather the heart that is the center and the seat of of life in us, both physical and psychical, and including uh, intellectual and emotional and volitional and spiritual life. That kind of life. What do we do about that heart? What do we do about that heart, our heart, when it's overwhelmed? And where do we find the cure for an overwhelmed heart. Psalm 25 in the Old Testament Bible introduces us to a solution. The author of Psalm 25 was David, the great king of Israel. He was quite a man. He was a warrior. He was a hero. He was an artist. He was a leader. He was one of ancient Israel's greatest songwriters. He was a man of great accomplishment, and he was a man of God. But that doesn't mean that he lived a charmed life. Not a carefree life. He experienced many significant difficulties and challenges throughout his years on earth. We learn a good bit of that in Psalm 25, but it takes us a little time to to work through it. But we want to get right into the middle of it today. You know, we don't know exactly the, uh, the time in David's life when he wrote this psalm or the setting and circumstances about it, but the psalm does reveal why David's heart was overwhelmed. At that time, David was in a terrible, desperate situation because of his enemies. His enemies had come after him, and they had come after him hard. And in the psalm, David describes those enemies. He describes them as many in number, 
and some of whom uh, were forming a conspiracy against him. And they had hated him fiercely, it says, literally with violent hatred. They were cruel, and they sought to bring down David in a, in a violent way. They were treacherous. They were sneaky traitors who looked forward to David's downfall. And they were waiting, just waiting to gloat over his downfall when it would happen. And they already had him backed up against the wall, and somehow they had also come up with another trap to, uh, to take him down. He was ensnared in it, and he couldn't see the way out of it. He was in a helpless situation, and, and he was just li- living under this under. Uh, this uh, dark cloud. He lived under it day in and day out. At the same time, David's heart was battered within him because of his own sin. He had stumbled morally. Was that the cause of his problems with his enemies? Well, very, very likely. Perhaps he had been up against and fighting back and maybe done something to those enemies. Sometimes, very often, uh, even we, we do create our own problems by our own sin, don't we? Perhaps David realized that he had hurt himself and others by his own moral failures. But even if that was not the case at that time, he was still more demoralized by his own past. He speaks of his sins of youth and his rebellious ways when he was young. Past and present, he admits that he has sinned more than once. In times of crisis, we're often brought more face-to-face with ourselves, and we're not always pleased with what we see. We become more conscious of our sins and our guilt before God and, and how far short of perfection we really are. David sensed that so deeply, and he was burdened from within. Thus, as David was overwhelmed, he didn't know what to do. That's what we learn from Psalm 25. He didn't know what to do. On the one hand, he wanted to follow the best course in dealing with the crisis about those enemies, but that best course uh, was not at that time obvious to him. He was unsure of what he could do and would do. I think we've all kind of been there, done that at times. On the other hand, David wanted to be upright in all his behavior. He wanted to obey God. He wanted to please God. He wanted to do the right things in all the situations. But then again, he felt lacking in understanding and ability to actually do that. He felt uncertainty about what it meant to leave out his faith in his life at that time. And so that, too, was on David's heart. Daily, he faced threats from without, turmoil from within, confusion and uncertainty. We can relate that sometimes, can't we? Especially when we stop and think about it. Our hearts sometimes are often overwhelmed by crisis and sin and confusion. David describes himself as lonely, afflicted, anguished, and distressed. The troubles of my heart have multiplied, he says. The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Can we relate at that? I think we all can. We can be in those situations. When this happens, what's our best response? David helps us to understand. He wrote this psalm, Psalm 25, using an alphabetical acrostic. That means in the Hebrew language that he was writing, each verse he wrote, he began with a, a succeeding letter of the Hebrew alphabet. 
with some minor variations. Why did he do that? Well, perhaps for artistic purposes. After all, he was a songwriter. But perhaps also he wrote it as an aid to memory because he wanted to, to remember about God and what God was doing. Perhaps David just put all that together. As a result, the, the psalm that we have here is not always obvious or easy to follow, but it's clear that David mixed in various things, such as statements about himself and his situation, his, about the statements about God, his own prayers, his statements about the truth, all these things. And these things were just bouncing off in his thoughts in the psalm. He learned from, him, from himself. And in doing that, he was, he was teaching us He didn't know he was, but he was teaching us to receive help for an overwhelmed heart, starting with a a simple approach. From David, it was just clearer right away, and he he just says, this is number one on the list. And that is, if you're in that kind of situation, come to God. Come to God. How simple, but how often we don't do that. David points to us and says, come to God. That's what he was doing. Come to God because there are some challenges in life that we can do nothing about on our own. Many challenges in life that we can do something about, but with only partial effectiveness. But God can handle all these things perfectly. Thank God. Thank God. From David's own words, we realize that he needed, from this this portion of Scripture, David shows us that he needed, number one, he needed deliverance. Deliverance from all his troubles. He also needed forgiveness from God. And he needed guidance also from God. He could get none of that on his own, but God's able to fully deal with all such things. So David went to God for help, which obviously is the wise and right thing to do. Interestingly, though, We often don't do that. We can go to God for help, but we don't do it. Why is that? Well, one reason that stands out is pride. Our own pride. It doesn't make any sense. There's no sense of glory whatsoever by not coming to God because of pride or determination to uh, live independently of anyone or anything else. That path only leads us to second or third best solutions, and ultimately, in the end, it ends in disaster if we go down that road. So David reminds us, come to God. Come to God as he, David, the successful warrior, leader, artist, king, did. Do that. Go to God. That's where we get help. That's the best help. That's the perfect help. So go to God. Which doesn't mean don't talk to anyone else except God. Because there are always some wise people in our congregations and our Bible studies who can help us in that way. And we need to be willing to talk to those folks and to have those conversations. We need to talk to wise people. We need to put that side of, of uh, put aside us just letting that go. But number one then there was, was come to God as far as David was concerned and how David teaches us. Number two on the list, out of, instead of uh, just coming to God, David also said this. He said, count on grace. He taught us to count on grace. Come to God. 
but also count on grace. David did that. Verse 16 of Psalm 25, we read this. David says, Turn to me and be gracious to me. He's talking to God. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. I have a feeling we've gone that path on on our ways in our homes sometimes. That we just need to, to say, be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. What's grace, though? What's grace? Let's make it, make it clear. Grace is kindness. Grace is favor. Grace is good. Grace is given to someone who doesn't deserve it. In the Bible, it refers especially to the undeserved favor that God gives to sinful men and women, whereby he not only forgives their sins, but he also cares for them, and he gives blessings to them. David counted on grace, and so should we. But how? But how? Well, let's start by not staying apart from God because of sin, but rather going to God for forgiveness of our sins. For some reasons, we just don't make that move to go to God for the forgiveness of our sins. You know, sometimes we're just a little stubborn on that. I can remember a time... You know, in my life, I've, I've hurt myself quite a lot. Not intentionally, but, you know, it happens. And uh, I played volleyball in Southern California for quite a while. A lot of men's volleyball down there. And uh, I was playing volleyball, and I went up to block, and the guy on the other side uh, was going after the ball, and instead he went me and uh, went against me. And, and uh, I, I got a big roll, swollen thumb and it was sore, but, but of course I didn't do anything about it. I just went home, and my wife said, you should really do something about it. And I said, no, it'll be okay. I got up in the next morning and, uh, and went to my truck, my old trusty Ford truck. And they had the latch, you know, where you put your fingers in there, and then you push that button. And so I was just in a hurry because I had to go somewhere, and I put it in it, and I, I put that, that thumb right in that place. And it was like a, a lightning bolt going for me from top to bottom. It hurt so bad. Just hurt so bad. I should have gone to the doctor. <laughs> My wife told me that a lot. <laughs> Didn't help me at all. I can tell you more about things like the time I tried ice skating and I got my chin cut open. I ran into a, a sprinkler. Oh, by the way, the, when I went ice skating, I fell and, and busted my chin that time, too. And then, uh, then when I, the doctor got the stitches out, um, I, I went and played basketball, and two minutes in, the guy elbowed me in the chin, and it <laughs> opened all up again. So, so now you're learning a little bit about me. But see, there's no relationship with God nor help from God as long as we remain unforgiven. So we must come to God for forgiveness. Sometimes, though, our realization of our sin causes us to hold back from God. Often that's because we feel unaccepted and that we will be rejected from God But counting on grace means not staying away from God. I'd like to say that one more time so we get it. Counting on grace, but counting on grace means not staying away from God? No. 
Rather, we should seek forgiveness, but not on the basis of who we are or what we've done or what we may offer to God. No, instead, we come to God for forgiveness on the basis of who God is and on the basis of his character and depending on him alone at the top all the time. This is the way that David sought forgiveness, verses 6 and 7 in the, in the psalm. He said, and it was not as a command, but as a request. He said to the Lord, Do not remember the, uh, the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. We can always go to God for good. Notice David didn't beg, he didn't claim, he didn't bargain or bribe. He simply asked on the basis of who God is. That God is a God who gives grace. We often forget that. But that's the only way to receive forgiveness from God. According to his word, to go to him for forgiveness. Have, have we actually done that? I'm wondering if maybe some of us, probably many of us, in the last month or so have just wondered... If we really are going to God, have we actually done that? Be careful to understand, though, that this doesn't mean ignoring sin or, or taking our sin lightly. To receive forgiveness, we, we must open, uh, own up to our sinfulness and to confess it and express our sorrow to God and declare our rejection of sin as being something acceptable. Also, we must ask him to, to cleanse us and take away our guilt. In verse 11 of the psalm, we read that David said, For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. David didn't mind saying that he had iniquity, and it is great. Hard. Verse 18, David says, though, Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. He's crying out to God. We can do that. Every one of us can do that. We just don't always do it. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. David was being honest. He was being sincere. He was being humble and dependent. When we do that, that's counting on grace. That's God's grace. But notice also that counting on grace means taking God at his word, that we have been forgiven when he's forgiven us because we have become for forgiveness in that exact way. David, we see, did not not receive forgiveness and then go on to wallow in his sinfulness, nor did he stay paralyzed by his guilt and was unsure of being pardoned. Rather, he boldly moved forward in his relationship with God. And that, too, is to count on grace. God will bring that kind of grace to us. Because God has declared uh, for David that he was forgiven, and that's exactly what we can get, too. And now we in this era have even more reason to be confident about grace. Because since David's time, God has advanced his plan, uh, his plan of salvation for us by the appearance of, of Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. Through him, we might rightly say we have even greater assurance of forgiveness now than was had in David's time because now we have the New Testament. In 1 John uh, chapter 1 We read that if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. I think that's worth saying again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. How could that happen? Only by God doing it. 
Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness for sins in accordance with the riches of his grace. That is the assurance God gives to us. He never leads us to doubt his forgiveness. He never shames us to go wallow in our past sins. Instead, he calls us to move forward with him and to participate in his life and his ministry as the disciples of Jesus did. Remember those disciples who were hanging out with him for so long, three years there? Those disciples failed Jesus hugely in the last days of Jesus' of Jesus's life on earth. They abandoned him when the going got touched, tough. Yet Jesus, after his resurrection from the dead, he sought out his disciples not to chastise them, not to blast them away, but rather to forgive them and restore them to their place in the family of God and in his wonderful ministry. Isn't that amazing that even after so much failure, they could come to God, that we can come to God, we can count on grace, and then there's one other thing we need to do when we have this this situation going on in our life, and that is to choose faith in God. Sometimes we kind of leave out the idea of choosing faith. Faith, that is always... Uh, choosing faith, that is always believe in the power of God, the goodness of God, and the love of God, and entrust your entire self to him. That's what David did in a time of great hardship. Psalm 25, verses 1 and 2, we read David's words. He says, In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. Wow, could David actually say that? Could he put his trust in him? Well, he certainly did. And we can do that too. We can utterly depend on God. And you, Lord my God, I put my trust. Do not let me put to shame nor let my enemies triumph over me. In Psalm 25, 20 and 21, David says, to God, guard my life and rescue me. What a wonderful thing that God can, can listen to that from us. That we can go to God and, and say to God, knowing all, uh, that God knows all about me and especially all the bad stuff. That as David shows us, we can go and, to God and say, guard my life and rescue me. And God doesn't say, oh, I don't want to do anything with you anymore. No, guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is in you. It's fairly simple. We have this situation going on in our life where we're struggling so much. But we find that that God really cares. That God really will walk with us, talk with us. He will lead us. He'll get get us out of the the, the dregs of our life and all the all the things that are coming around us. But you know, sometimes we have to make that step, and, and this is really what a lot of this is all about is are we gonna take this step? Are we gonna just Stay in the place and just, just wallow in it, or are we going to do something about it and move ahead? 
David here really pushing the idea of faith in God. We don't have time to go into it as much. But I love that line, may integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope, Lord, is in you. You see, when your hope is in someone else, you're in trouble. But when, you're, when you have hope in the Lord, that, that hope is, is for you and in you. I mentioned uh, one of my sons, and I, I didn't mean it you know, the last time, but I mentioned now that uh, one of my sons and I were, were uh, swimming in the ocean in Oregon. Yeah. So we came, we came up from California to Oregon, and we love the ocean. We've been in the ocean, you know, played in the ocean many, many times. And we came to Oregon, and, and we found out the water was really cold. So instead of uh, deciding not to go in the ocean anymore, we got wetsuits, and we uh, just started playing in the ocean with good warm wetsuits. And uh, we were having a good day uh, one time. We were all out swimming, and we, we had to, to go further out because the waves were further out from the shore that day. They were just breaking, and so we were over there body surfing and everything. And then we turned around, and we came back and started swimming back uh, along the way, got to the place where it was shallow enough that we could be walking toward the beach with the sand of, uh, of, you know, under there, ready to go. And uh, as we're walking along there, uh, Timothy and I uh, had a, a, a drop. I can only say it was just a drop, but I mean like a big drop. We took a step forward, and we both stepped into a, a, a trough, a ditch underneath the water. And, and we both went completely underwater. The, the way the, the waves were doing that way, the way the, the current was that day, a trough, I don't know if some of you have had that. I, someone from the last service said, yeah, I know exactly what that, that a trough will get along the, the, uh, the seaside there. And that will, will get a big ditch. And so we were walking along. It'd be like if I walked over here and stepped off and we just went and you didn't see us because we went way down. And we came right back up. So we just laughed when we looked at each other that we had, we had fallen in there. And I swam a little further. We, I got out. But the thing is, when I got out and I looked over, Timothy was not able to get out. He, just, he was younger. He just didn't have the strength, the energy to do that. You know, we, we, trained, uh, we trained, uh, I should say, we trained our children about what to do in water, you know. Don't panic. You know, if you get in a riptide, you don't fight against it. You just let it go until you can get out of it, all that. We're, and so we're doing all the right things. But I, I was able to get out and, and, and uh, be on the beach. Timothy is still going down the beach. And I'm having to jog to catch up with him while I'm on the, on the beach, on the shore, and he's running along. And it was getting scary because as we were moving, he was going faster. And he was getting to a place where there was going to be a curve in the, in the, uh, the, the shore there. And he was going to be out in deep, deep water. So I'm running along there with him. And as long as I was doing it, I kept asking him, Tim, you doing okay? Yep, I'm a good dad. There's a little more. Hey, doing okay, dad? Yeah, yeah. So, are you okay, Tim, I should say? And he, he just keeps saying, yeah, everything's good, you're good, because he knows not to panic. But I'm starting to panic. <laughs> so I go there, and, I, and Tim, are you doing okay? Yeah, 
Can you get out? No. A little more. Tim, you okay? Yeah. Can you get out? No. Can't get out, Dad. A little more. Same thing. Same thing. Can you get out? No, I can't. I need help. So I started swimming toward Tim. And Tim started swimming toward me. And we met and we got on the beach. Okay. That's how it works. Sometimes you get in those troughs. Sometimes it's really hard to get out. Sometimes you need somebody on the beach running alongside to make sure you're going to make it. You just have to be choosing the right people in the right place, like God. God. Way back there in verse 2, it says, In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. How about you? What do you need today? How's your heart? Do you have an overwhelmed heart? You can get over it if you walk with God. He'll help you along. Maybe if you're having struggling it, he'll walk you along the beach, so to speak. He'll reach out to you. He'll keep saying, how you doing out there? How you doing out there? Yeah? How's it going now? Can you, can you get over? So that's, that's God walking with us. That's what was happening with David. I don't think he was on the beach, but, but he was walking with God. And that's just a choice we have to make. I can't give you any other solutions other than exactly what David did when he was in such a hard place. Maybe some of you just say today have to, to get over being stubborn. And some of you maybe are thinking you don't really want to know God that, that much anyway, but now maybe you're rethinking some of that. Whatever it is, go what? Go do what David did. Let God be the one who's walking beside you. Don't put it, put it aside. Don't, don't let it, don't let it uh, you know, say, okay, well, next week, or, you know, when, when I get this done, I'll do it, or you know, when not done, I'll do it. Well, that's what we always do with things, at least I do. But when it has to do with your eternal salvation, you better, you better think about it a little more and actually do something. And you know all these things I was just telling you all about? It's just right there in Scripture, and it's just God sitting with us and loving us today. That's what God's doing. You just got to figure out whether you're going to do it with him or not. Don't be sorry.